Schiller. Speaking of how hot your mother-in-law was uh, when she was young, uh, you've seen a photo of, have you ever seen a photo of my mum when she was young? Probably oh. seen it on Facebook from time to time or something. I think I have. Oh, yeah. I, I think oh, I think a my moan. Mom, my mum was. <laughs> a, moan, a moan might have escaped my, my was, lips as My mum was. Yeah? Yeah? Yeah, tell yeah, me Yeah, my mum was smoking. Oh, she was smoking hot. Smoking hot. Yeah. Yeah. Feisty, too. Yeah. Oh, God. One of us is getting yeah. turned on. Okay, let's talk about uh, the Deutschmark. Something else. Pull <laughs> it down in here. Welcome back to the Cold War, <laughs> episode 126. <laughs> Uh, uh, in our last episode, we were talking about the, uh, the, the, the background to the Berlin blockade, 948, right. um, we, we finished, we talked about the little lift uh, where the, the Americans were flying in military supplies to Berlin after the Soviets restricted Western mm-hmm. military and passenger traffic. I mean, the, the reason it was... Uh, sort of not the full blockade is cargo was still allowed to come in and out of Berlin, but you had to have the permission of the Soviet commander and every train and truck needed to be searched by the Soviet authorities. Right. Still allowed technically, but uh, it it was, it was restricted, monitored uh, and searched and you needed permission. And the Americans started flying stuff in just to see what would happen, uh, see if the Soviets would shoot them down. Right. And they said, John, uh, come here, John. You're not doing, are you doing anything today? No, uh, no, day off. Great, 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 great. Listen, got a little, got a job for you. Yeah. Um, I, want you to, I want you to take these uh, military supplies, uh, lots, of, lots of highly explodable <laughs> ordnance, um, and fly them into sure. our base uh, in Berlin. Uh, you might you might have to parachute them in. Just drop them out, big parachute. Um, right. And it's like right, right, right. Mm-hmm. Uh, 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 any any risks involved in this? I should have, well, you know your usual risks. Yeah. Wings could fall Flying. off. Um, yeah, ber- <laughs> dragons. Birds. Um, right. All the usual oh, stuff. The <laughs> right. Now, the Soviets, if, look, I, I, I don't want to hide yeah. this from you, but the Soviets might try and shoot you down. Right. But apart from that, uh, nothing yeah. out of the ordinary. Yeah. And that's when John said, excuse me, sir, but what is the standard procedure if I get hit by a massive AA shell? Well, John, I think the appropriate response is to blow into a million pieces, but I'll leave that up to you. We'll just see how it goes. So, yeah, so they were testing the, uh, the Soviet resolve, and like we were saying on the last show, Stalin is just testing the Americans, and he's not crazy enough to actually fire at these sh- planes that even though they have, they have, I guess, guns on board, they're not being um, escorted by fighters. He could have taken them out if he wanted to, and he chose not to. So then the U.S. decided to print the new German currency is where we left last time. The Deutsche Mark was designed and printed in New York, and it was going to be the Western-backed currency throughout Western Germany and Western Berlin. Now, Lucius Clay named it Operation Bird Dog. General Lucius Clay, of course, is the American who runs their... uh, zone of occupation in right. Germany. 
And he uh, starts dispersing this new currency throughout the Trizonia, and uh, he they know perfectly well that this is going to tie West Germany to right. the American economic system. It was it was kind of Marshall Plan logic, but right. this time implemented secretly. Now, it was the world's worst kept secret. Everyone knew it was happening, but yeah. uh, it There's was kind of secret. Right. Yeah. Who said you can't buy love, Ray? The Marshall Plan <laughs> and Operation Bird Dog proved that you can buy love. They also started to remove price controls yes. from their zones in Germany, which had been in place since the war. Um, so... Products started to flow back in, or in many cases, come out of basements where they'd been hidden right. for, for a long time. Because <laughs> right. um, there was there was cash started to flow again in Trizonia. Products started to come back in. U.S. Army trucks started backing up to the Reichsbank and then driving off with loads of heavy wooden cases marked clay and bird dog. Wow. How much cash were in those trucks, Ray? I I don't know. Um, in one particular truckload, was it, I don't know, uh, 300,000 marks, I'm guessing? Why are you guessing? Like, why do you know. guess? I like guessing. Every Guessing's time fun. I tell you, if you don't know, don't guess. No, remember how you used to go, guess. okay, Ray, give me a number just so you could do the shock value thing. <laughs> I thought we were still doing that. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm doing my Andy. Okay. You need to do your Conan, son you're of doing a bitch. The, yeah, yeah. You're doing your bit. Yes, right. I well, am. I am by just trying to <laughs> insult your intelligence. Um. 500 tons of cash oh. in 23,000 wooden boxes Fuck. were ha- handed out around Germany. Now, it wasn't just handed out. They weren't, like, just throwing right. it out Here. into the streets. Here, you, you, had, you had to trade in your Reichsmarks ah. for Deutschmarks. Right. But the point, the point of all of this was the... The 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 um, currency and the economy of West Germany was now fully in control of the very wealthy United States. Right. People knew what that meant. It was like, oh, okay, now yeah, so I choose you. It's going to be good times. Econ- yes. Economic good times are coming back to West Germany. Not not officially known as West Germany yet, but no, give it time. the Western um, right. sections of of Germany. So the Soviets were forced to respond. They introduced their own new currency in the Soviet sector, also called the Deutsche Mark, because Barry and Stan were brought in um, to come up with the name for both sides, unbeknownst to both sides, because they were like, well, we need to come up with a new name for the currency. Who are we going to hire? They are like, well, there's only one. Only one firm you can go to, Barry and Stan. Um Barry and Stan, Inc., uh, they were like, well, you know, listen, we've already told the Americans that the best name for this is the Deutsche Mark. Could we We can't come up dip? with anything better. Double dip? Well, we can double dip. They charged the, they charged the Soviets $100 million to come up with that name, right. which they didn't have. They said, we'll, we'll get back to you on that. 
um, <laughs> when the Americans come through with the repatriations. Right. Um, but in the one in the one in the eastern sector was known as the Ostmark or the Eastmark, ah. uh, unofficially. But right. officially, it was also called the Deutschmark. Right. But it was separate. And I love the way that they the the Russians didn't have time to actually Uh-oh. print money right to respond to the Americans. So um, do you know? How they separated the Reichsmark from the Ostmark? No, tell me. Um, paper clips. You if they paper clip a little, uh, a, a little uh, uh, like a, a stamped, uh, <laughs> a, like, like a stamp. Right. Basically, a stamp that said this is now a, a Deutsche Mark Ta-da. would be paper clipped. To the Reichsmarks, and boom, there you go, new currency. <laughs> Jesus um, don't need fucking. Who communist. needs to print new money? Yeah. We can just we can just paperclip something on it. Good, it's new. Good, it's, no one can tell the difference. It's all good. Half. Practical, <laughs> practical. <laughs> that's what it is. That's 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 stalling yeah. half acid. Um, I didn't want to interrupt your flow, but did you read about Ludwig Erhardt, who was the German economic consultant for the buy zone? Because you were mentioning earlier about. The price fixing in the production controls that they were removed. He had a big hand in that. Did you read about that? I did, but I didn't write it into my notes. So okay. uh, go go for your life. Well, I, I just thought it was funny. Yeah. So so near the end of June 1948, uh, you know the Deutsche Mark is being uh, introduced, and this was done by Ludwig Erhard, who was the uh, consultant for the Bison. And what he's going to do, in fact, he's going to go on to become the second president of the Federal Republic of Germany that you mentioned a couple minutes ago. But what he did was. He was in an awkward situation. So these controls that had been set up, they weren't set up by the Allies. They were set up by the Nazis. And so when the Americans and the British and the French come in, they don't take them out. They don't remove them. So they're still in place. And so, as you can imagine, the German economy is suffering. The German people are suffering. So so Ludwig, Ludwig uh, gets this position as consultant. He's, he's helping out with the new currency reform. And what he does is he pulls a Pearl Harbor. He waits until Sunday when he knows the Americans, the British, and the French are going to be sleeping in or they're going to be at church. But the point is, they're not at work. And what he does is de facto cancels all the price fixing, all the production controls set up by the Nazis. And so when the Americans, British, and the French come to work on Monday, it's a done deal. It's already been announced. The word's been spread out and people are starting to react to it. And so he literally on his own did it thinking, well, they might get mad at me, but if it's already done, will they roll it back? And he was right and they didn't. And so Germany's economy is able to move forward just that little bit more. Better to beg for forgiveness, forgiveness than ask for permission was his oh, philosophy. And just, just one other thing. You were talking about what the Americans are doing, printing all this money in New York and passing it out. If if you go back a little bit, this is quite the reverse of what the American position was on the German economy before this moment because um, when World War II is over and the occupiers come in, obviously these four different powers, they can't agree on currency reform. They can't agree on anything, but they certainly can't agree on currency reform. And the fact that there's four different zones doesn't help because everybody's actually, I think you said this earlier, is printing out their own currency for the, for the Germans within their zone to use. In fact, the United States representatives in Germany at the time actually had their hands tied by the Joint Chiefs of Staff Directive 1067, which stated the U.S. military government 
of occupation in Germany was ordered to take no steps looking toward the economic rehabilitation of Germany or designed to maintain or strengthen the German economy. And it was ordered that starvation, disease, and civil unrest were to be kept below such levels that would pose a danger to the troops of occupation. So in no way are you allowed to do anything to help the German economy. And if there is disease starvation unrest, as long as it's kept down enough so the American troops aren't being attacked by the unhappy German civilians, we're okay with that. And that stays in effect until July of 1947. So you compare that to what they're doing now. This is a blatant thing to get the Germans on their side, pull them away from the Soviets, take what part of Germany they have, turn it into a country and get it up and running as fast as they possibly can because they're going to need the Germans' help to revitalize Europe and maybe, hopefully not, fight the Russians one day if if Stalin orders his millions and millions of soldiers to start surging west. The Americans knew exactly what they needed to do and they did it. So, let's get into the blockade. What did Stalin expect to achieve from the blockade? Was he trying to kick the Western Allies out of Berlin, as he himself told leaders in the Soviet zone of uh, Germany? Or Mm -hmm. was he just trying to weaken their position and get them to reverse the tri-zone decision and reopen negotiations about a unified Germany, as he repeatedly told the Western contacts that he met uh, during this period. What do you think he was trying to achieve, Ray? I think that everything we've learned about Stalin so far and stuff um, I've read, I think Stalin was a master of one of the most basic maneuvers there is when it comes to getting something you want, especially if it's something that someone else is doing and you want them to stop. I think this is a basic ploy of you create a problem for your adversary and then you go, well, I can make it go away, but I'm going to need something in exchange. I think he's just trying to frustrate and weaken the will, the political will of the Western allies, create a headache for them, maybe cause a little panic and fear. And he's like, look, I can make all this go away, but you're right. I think the, the currency reform, the, the forming governments, the three uh, countries bringing their zones together, he wanted either all that stomped and or reversed. And so what he's doing is he's going to give them a problem that only he can solve, supposedly, in exchange for getting more of what he wants. And let's face it, the Americans and the British and the French, they've been running roughshod over him and out of all of the things that they want to do in Germany, they've been doing. And now Stalin has had enough and he is reacting to their moves. Yeah, I mean, it's I I, I think he is just trying to uh, force them back to the negotiating mm-hmm. table mm-hmm. Um, by by showing that he can make life extremely difficult. I think he's. I mean, it is a bit of a sort of a chicken and egg scenario here, uh, or, or no, chick, that's not chicken, chicken little. No, yeah. What's the just what, a game of chicken? What am I trying to say? Game of, game of chicken. Yes, yeah. that's right. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. It's a game of chicken that he's playing right. here. I mean, he doesn't want a war. He can't afford a war, particularly not with the US because they have a bomb, but he's betting that they don't want a war either. Right. Um, so he's just trying to figure out 
how to make life as difficult for them as possible. And I think his only objective can be to get them to come back to the negotiating table. Yes. Um, to reverse the Trizonia decision. Because, again, the, the thing that Stalin wants to avoid above all else is a prosperous Germany yeah. uh, sitting on the Soviet border after everything that Germany's put them through in the last 30, 40 years. Mm-hmm. So some Western military planners at the time expressed concerns that the statement uh, might prompt a confrontation that would lead to hostilities, the statement of uh, Trizonia, this is, and what they were doing and the, the, the bringing them all together. Mm-hmm. Um, and they were right. And at, and at first, the prospects looked good from the Soviet side of things. Most international observers assumed that West Berlin would not survive the blockade. Right. The chiefs uh, of the Soviet military administration in Germany reported to Moscow on April 17th that our control and restrictive measures have dealt a strong blow to the prestige of the Americans and Britons in Germany. They also believe that the German population thought that the Anglo-Americans have retreated before the Russians and that this testifies to the Russians' strength. Mm. So maybe what Stalin's also hoping he can achieve here is that with a show of force, the Germans in Uh, Berlin would decide to throw their um, throw their weight behind mm. Soviet control right. they would just say listen we're, we're better we're, we're better off getting on board with the Soviets yeah. than with the Western allies because the Soviets obviously are stronger yeah. you, we can you can see they're stronger because the, the Americans and the British backed off as soon as the Soviets started to fuck with them right. <laughs> right. Maybe, maybe he's hoping that he can convince the Germans uh, to support his plays moving forwards. Mm. Yeah, maybe yeah. across all of Germany, not just in Berlin, but across all of Germany, that he can, he can basically play a game of chicken with the British and the Americans and they'll back down. Right, because as we said on the previous show, I think, I mean, the game is afoot and the prize is Germany. I mean, this is a huge country as far as European standards go. It's very populous. It's got a lot of resources. And um, this is the prize. Whoever blinks is going to lose. And and Stalin, even though he's only got eastern Germany, maybe he can get more. Maybe he can get the German people on his side. And if that happens, then it's a whole new ball game. Because, again, he just wants as big a border as he can get to protect Russia. Russia and keep Germany weak, unless, of course, it's on his side, and then maybe he should revisit that. But for right now, if Germany's not going to be on his side, it needs to be divided and weak. A buffer zone, as we've yes. always said. Buffer. Cordon sanitaire. <laughs> buffer. Now, there were also municipal elections coming up in West Berlin, and mm. I think Stalin was trying to 
discredit the Western powers, uh, depicting them as being sort of helpless to resist the blockade, hoping that the citizens of West Berlin would vote for the Soviet-aligned uh, representatives in their upcoming elections, mm-hmm. and that they would also turn to the Soviets for supply of all of the goods and services that they needed. Right. You know, if, they, if they're not getting supplied by the West... The Soviets go, hey, listen, it's all good. Don't worry about it. We got you. We got you. Yeah, we got you we back. Got you, we got you covered. Here, here's some um, vodka and uh, borscht. That's all you need uh, to get through life. <laughs> That's all I need. You'll right? be good. <laughs> yeah, big, you like a bit of big, big borscht. <laughs> bit. A bit. Not, f- not for eating, though. Um, so he was hoping that... Um, you know, in a best case scenario, I think he was hoping that the the Western Allies would uh, back off with their plans and come back to the negotiating table. Worst case scenario is he's going to get the Germans in West Berlin and maybe in other parts of the West Germany um, to look favorably upon being part of the Soviet bloc because the Soviets are obviously the stronger party and the Westerners are pussies right. when Stalin stares yeah. them down. How, as it turned out, didn't really work out the way that... If, that, <laughs> if those were his, his, his objectives, right. uh, didn't really work out that way. Yeah, I, I don't think Stalin was looking to completely break his adversaries. I don't think he was looking to start a war. I think you're right. I think he was losing. Basically, what it comes down to is as long as you're not shooting at each other, then anything goes when it comes to politics and finances. And I think Stalin and the Americans understood that. So his only option is to get them back to the negotiating table. Let me squeeze them a little bit. And this is my only option. And so, again, I know we're stressing this, but Stalin is reacting to the American-led Western powers who are trying to get what they want. And and, and in that sense, you really can't blame the Americans either, because as we've said, the American and the Western countries have one type of government and one type of culture. The Russians have a completely different, and their mutual enemy, Hitler, is now gone. These guys aren't going to get along. It's just not going to happen. So now it's a contest of, it's a game of chicken, like you said. And so each each one is just trying to... um, force the other one to put up with whatever they want to do. This is Stalin's only choice. He's doing the best he can with his limited options. So on June 24th, 1948, Stalin went to the next step and actually erected a physical blockade around West Berlin Mm -hmm. to prevent all traffic from Trizonia from entering into the city. Now, Again, I, I think he hoped it would force the West Berliners to throw their lot in with the Soviet zone because they're yeah. going to be starved of resources from the West. Their new Western money would be useless. Exactly. And he hoped it would force the US to stop trying to interfere in the Soviet zone or maybe it would force them to try and overcome the blockade, risking a war. Uh, where they were seriously outmanned. Yes. Obviously, in terms of land forces, the Soviets were 
incredibly superior. I think it was like a ten to one difference in terms of boots on the boots on the ground. Yeah, yeah. If I may, real quick, just in Western Berlin alone, the Americans had nine thousand troops. The British had seventy five hundred. The French had just over six thousand. Um, and obviously there were 98, and not obviously, but also as far as Western Germany in general, the Americans did have 98,000 troops, but they're scattered all over the place. The Russians in their section of Germany alone had 1.5 million troops. And as you can imagine, they had a lot more <laughs> in Poland and the uh, Latha, Latvia, Estonia, Lithuania, um, and, and to the south. So, yeah, it is not even a contest. However, this is going to be decided by the Americans and, and the British and the French. It is not going to be through conventional warfare because it's not even close. Yeah. Now, they they might use their bomb, but he's like, really? Well, they, they're not yeah. going to bomb Germany mm-hmm. right? Uh, with the nukes, but yeah. they, they might nuke Moscow. Yeah. Now, when the blockade came into effect, mm-hmm. Truman needed to decide what to do. Now, some of his advisors, like Walter Beadle-Smith, yeah. the ambassador to Moscow mentioned in the previous episode, soon to be the director of the CIA, urged Truman to back down. Yeah. And accept the division of the country along the regional lines, basically leaving all of Berlin to the Soviets. Right. Truman's response on June 28th, four days after the blockade came into effect, was typically blunt. (laughs) We are going to stay, period. Damn. Damn. Battle Smith said, you don't actually have to say... (laughs) the period it's you you, 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 you You write it to signify the end of a sentence you don't i don't know you don't actually have to say it out loud you don't have to say we are going to stay comma period (laughs) period (laughs) close (laughs) exclamation marks you're not close brackets you're not a text you're not a text-to-speech uh system (laughs) you 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 know you can just say we're going to stay you don't have to Speak no. the period out loud. Make, make I know sure we're you- in the country, you don't have, didn't get much of an education, <laughs> but uh, here in the city, yeah, he was being emphatic um, to make a point. But uh, yeah, so and, and I'm not going to go too far, but just to say, so that's June 24th. The very next day, June 25th, um, the British and the U.S. military leaders in Germany acting separately for right now on their own, begin their own their own airlifts. Because like you said, with um, the little lift, they were able to work out some of the logistics. And and I think you you alluded to this, but yeah, some of the, um, it, it was the politicians who got them into this situation. And now that they have this blockade and, and Stalin is erecting these physical barriers, it's the, it's the allied military that seems to want to come up with their with their own solution they're like you know we can we can force a corridor through there we can fight our way in and Truman's like no 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 that, that's not going to work that's not that's n- not an option at this point and i think it was um uh who was it uh, clay i think it was clay who was who was pushing hard at first for a military resolution but truman shut that down real quick because you look at the numbers it's just not going to work so whatever's going to go on is either got to be settled politically or some other way but putting up our fist is not going to it's not going to solve this so basically it's let's let's fly fly supplies in for now and let's see what happens and so again it's an it's another game of chicken 
Yeah, so Truman got different advice. Uh, Smith, as I said before, the ambassador to Moscow urged him to back down. James Forrestal, who was the Secretary of Defense at the time, asked George Kennan for his analysis of the blockade. Mm -hmm. Kennan's response was that communist ideology and Soviet behavior clearly demonstrate that the ultimate objective of the leaders of the USSR is the domination of the world. Ooh. Now, he later regretted that statement, but yes. it played it played a pretty large role in amping up the American response to this at the time. Some of Truman's advisors, like Frank Wisner, who was the head of the OSSS in Europe at the time, later became the head of the CIA's London office, and where he played a major role overthrowing the government of Iran in the early 50s, mm-hmm. advocated military action to break the blockade. Clay, as you said before, also was yeah. on board with that. He wanted to force a military convoy through to Berlin. Jesus. But um, the British governor, General Robertson, visited him on June 24th, the day the uh, blockade was announced, and said, listen, uh, forcing a military uh, solution would mean war with the Soviets and we, the British, that is, will not support such a war. Uh, so if you go, if you start a war with the Soviets, you're on your own. Yeah. Um, not that the British were going to make much of a difference anyway, <laughs> apart from uh, maybe some uh, moral support at this juncture. <laughs> some stiff uh, But they weren't. Yeah. They weren't on board with that. Clay then took the idea to Truman, and as you said, Truman also rejected the idea of a military solution. Um, you know, raising an army to be able to to fight the Soviets was just beyond yes. practical for the Americans at the time. There was no way you could, even with uh, conscription, you'd be able to raise a big enough army right. to take on the Soviets. I think I, just, just real quick to... I'm sorry, I'm sorry, Cam. Just to add to that real quick, I think I had read by this point the American um, military, because they were, they were um, I can't remember the word right now, but when you, when you honorably discharge people from the military just to get them out so you don't have to pay them anymore, it, I think it went down to like just some, somewhere around 600,000. So I think the American U.S. Army was down to somewhere like 600,000 at this point. And like we said, Stalin's got 1.5 million people just in eastern Germany. That is not an option. But I just wanted to add this. When Truman said no to, to, to his advisors, he said, you want me to raise a whole bunch of money to fight a war, to start World War III, to save former Nazis in Hitler's capital, Call me crazy, but I don't think the American people are going to go along with that. So forget the 2.5 million West Berliners. That just wasn't politically viable, and there was just no way he was going to go with that. He actually said, you want me to start a war to save Nazis? Question mark. <laughs> they said, you don't, you don't need to fucking... Sir, you, don't have to- <laughs> you don't have to say it out loud. What, what is wrong with you? That's from Missouri. No, I actually I don't know anybody from Missouri. I'm joking. So it was actually General Robertson, the uh, British governor, the mm. governor of the British zone, that came up with the idea of an airlift yes. to support the entire city with all of its needs, but only for a short period of time. I mean, right. they didn't see it was going to be a long-term solution. Just, well, look, we, we got away with it 
um, at, a, at a small level earlier right. on, maybe we can ramp it up a little bit and get them through the period. Clay didn't have any better ideas and he agreed to it, even though he apparently thought it was crazy. But it was just seen as an ad hoc operation that would buy a little bit of time right. while they came up with a political solution to the problem with the Soviets. They went back to the negotiating table and worked out a way forwards. So this is when the real airlift kicked in. Yeah, and just to give you an idea, I mean, like we said earlier, the British had already crunched some numbers. So when Robertson comes to Clay, he's like, we need 1,500 tons of various foodstuffs. We need 3,000 tons of coal and diesel each and every day. And if we can do that for now, the 2.5 million people in West Berlin, they're not going to be living well, but they won't starve to death. And maybe we can buy our political master some time to talk to Stalin. So you're absolutely right. It was like, let's get this going and see if we can just... Give it some time and see what happens after that. So the ball is back in Stalin's court. It's back in Stalin's court. Now, what are his options? He can shoot down these planes and Mm -hmm. obviously start a war. Yeah. Or he can insult the planes, (laughs) um, call them, harass them. Right. But, yeah, I mean, really, his only choices are to shoot down the supply planes Or let it continue. And he obviously isn't prepared to start a war over this, as the Americans weren't prepared to start a war over this. And so basically, I mean, he harasses the transports, but uh, he's not going to start a crisis. Now, here's the thing I wanted to get to with this episode. According to William Stivers, Mm -hmm. who was a professor of political science at Colorado College, writing in Diplomatic History, Volume 21, Issue 4, October Mm -hmm. 1997, despite the way it's often portrayed in the West, it wasn't a total blockade. You just said before, they won't starve to death. Stalin had no intention of starving out the people of West Berlin. Mm-hmm. Most people, and this, you know, I read at the beginning of the uh, previous episode, this uh, 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 overview from the Royal Air Force's Centre for Strategic and Conceptual Thinking on Airspace and Cyberpower, where they talked about the total isolation of West Berlin. Right. According to Stivers... It wasn't and was never intended to be a total isolation of Berlin. He wasn't trying to starve the Western Berliners. Mm -hmm. He was trying to force them to rely on the Soviets for their needs, not to starve them, as, as it's often depicted. The way it's, I mean, call me crazy if you disagree with this, but the way I've always seen the airlift depicted in documentaries is that the uh, Americans and the British flew to the aid of the poor West Berliners who were going to starve to death and they flew in all of their food and their supplies and saved their lives. Right. It's a good story. Is that uh, how you understood it? I think we call that history over here, Cam. (laughs) (laughs) So that was never... The intention. Right. It, so the Soviet blockade wasn't intended to starve <laughs> the West Berliners. In fact, the Soviets went out of their way to guarantee West Berlin access to food and coal and other resources. 
either from the eastern zone or mm-hmm. directly to be supplied from the Soviet Union. Right. It was just designed to prevent the West from supplying it, ah, not to starve right. the Berliners, the West Berliners out. And American un- uh, officials understood this at the time. In October 1948, US military government intelligence analysts wrote a report in which they said road, rail and water blockades of Berlin by no means constitute a complete economic blockade, either by intent or in fact. Ooh, okay. So they understood that at the time. Um, Soviet official documents say that the blockade comprised measures for the restriction of transport communications between Berlin and the western zones of occupation of Germany. Mm-hmm. So no effort was made to seal off West Berlin from either East Berlin or the surrounding countryside, which, again, was Soviet uh, right. territory, the Soviet right. region of Germany, just to stop West Berlin from being supplied by the Western sectors of Germany. Uh, it was a surgical strike, not a broadsword. Well, yeah, but the, the, the point is that the way it's depicted, and again, look, maybe I'm maybe I'm wrong, but the way I've always believed it went down was that basically they were the, the West Berliners would have starved to death if the Americans hadn't supplied them. Absolutely, and the British right. hadn't hadn't done the airlift. But that's not true at all. Half a million tons of goods flooded in to the western sectors of Berlin from the Soviet areas over the 10-and-a-half-month period of the blockade. Yeah. They came through various channels. Some were through official authorised channels. Some were through the the black markets that were operating at the time, depending on what it was you were trying to get your hands on. Sure. But um, the point is that the east... Sorry, the West Berliners were supplied with food and coal and other basic provisions by the Soviets during the period of the blockade. They didn't need the airlift. The airlift wasn't to help West Berlin survive. It was purely propaganda. Oh, yeah. It was an American-British propaganda campaign Basically, it was Operation Na 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 Na. <laughs> That's what it was. You can't stop us. We can fly planes in. Ha ha. What are you going to do about it? Shoot us down. Na Na. Doesn't matter. We don't care. That's what it was. It was a propaganda campaign. It had nothing to do with saving West Berlin. Mm-hmm. It was just to demonstrate that they could continue to supply it despite. A land blockade. Right. Now, I'm just going to compare that to what I was taught in school. One, we saved their lives. Two, you have the touching story of Operation Little Vittles, where the pilots would tie gum and chocolate bars to handkerchiefs and and drop them out of the plane, and they would parachute down to the little German children, and suddenly that, that became a big thing. In fact, candy... Uh, manufacturers in the United States got involved and just, you know, tons of gum and chocolate bars were sent over. And so you've got that propaganda thing going on. Then you've got the fact that the fact, then you've got the stat that you just gave about stuff coming from East 
Berlin to West Berlin. Never heard of that before until we researched for the show. Didn't even know existed. As far as we know, in the West, Stalin was forcing communism through starvation onto the Western Berliners, and the Americans and the British were risking their lives to save these people from the evil communist and starvation. If it hadn't been for those shipments, they would have died, or even worse, maybe, they would have had to have turned to communism and to Stalin to save them. I mean, this was a black and white monster, angel, savior, demon story, period. And that's all I've ever been taught or read about in history books in, in high school and junior high. Yeah, well, I'm glad that um, you have the same um, idea of it as well. Yeah. Um, it, um, you know, uh, 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 here's how Gaddis, John Gaddis, in his book on the Cold War, deals with it very briefly. He, he dedicated a total of um, four paragraphs to the uh, blockade. Right. Uh, actually, two two paragraphs. Two of two of them were to the uh, 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 coup in Czechoslovakia and Yugoslavia. He says, um, <clears throat> meanwhile, Stalin had undertaken an even less promising venture, a blockade of Berlin. His reasons, even now, are not clear. He may have hoped to force the Americans, British and French out of their respective sectors of the divided city, taking advantage of their dependence on supply lines running through the Soviet occupation zone, or he may have sought to slow their efforts to consolidate their own zones, which seemed likely to produce a powerful West German state within which Moscow would have no influence. Whatever its purposes, Stalin's blockade backfired as badly as his attempt to discipline Tito. The Western allies improvised an airlift for the beleaguered city, yeah. thereby winning the emphatic gratitude of the Berliners, the respect of most Germans, and a global public relations triumph that yeah. made Stalin look both brutal and incompetent. Scoundrels, the old man noted defensively on a diplomatic dispatch reporting, reporting these developments. It is all lies. It is not a blockade, but a defensive measure. Yeah. Defensive it may have been, but the offensive character of this and the other measures Stalin took in response to the Marshall Plan wound up increasing, not decreasing, the Soviet Union's security problems. Um, that's about all he has to say on it. Yeah. So, um, so it, it, you know, it, it's it's given very short thrift. At least he does say that Stalin said it was a defensive measure, not a blockade. Um, but, uh, you know, it's interesting when you get down into the details of uh, uh, what actually happened and uh, where the supplies were actually coming from during this period. So uh, from mid-November 1948, West Berliners could make Eastmark purchases, the Ostmark, no questions asked, in right. the so-called free shops in East Berlin and Brandenburg. According to American military analysts at the time, the noose around Berlin had been but loosely drawn <laughs> and the Russians were keeping the gates to the western sectors at least half open. God. So the airlift was really just supplementing the sources that they were getting from uh, the Soviets and East Germany. Now, to be fair, mm -hmm. as, as we said earlier, Russia was still fucked. The Soviet Union was still oh, fucked yeah. from World War II. Right. Still struggling to rebuild. Didn't have a lot of shit to go around anyway. And this is coming off of 
you know, famines and 20 million people dead and all of that kind of stuff. So Russia's been screwed for decades, the Soviet Union, all the different countries, screwed for decades for a variety of reasons. Mm -hmm. I mean, some um, their own fault, you know, badly managed five-year plans trying to rapidly modernise the the Russian economy after the downfall of the Tsars and the revolution. Some of it beyond them could, their control, uh, World War One and World War Two, obviously, um, and uh, some you know famines that may have been uh, uh, exacerbated by Soviet decisions, uh, but may have occurred anyway. Uh, may have been not as bad. Uh, it, it's hard to say. But basically, what I'm trying to say is. West Berlin was being supplied by the Soviets and East Berlin, but they weren't rolling in the hay. I'm not trying to give right. that depiction because the Soviet Union was fucked economically, right? Still trying to rebuild. Oh, but yeah. they were still sending stuff to them or making stuff available to them. So what the Americans were doing and the British was basically laying it on heavy. It's like... Um, Okay, uh, uh, you're dating a girl, you're broke, you're dating a girl, and you're like, listen, you know, uh, 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 I don't earn a lot of money, but um, look, I'm going to scrape together what I have from my male prostitution gigs, and um, and and I'm going to take you out to take you out to McDonald's. Um, and she's go. like, oh, thanks, that's very nice. And then you know, rich guy comes along uh, and picks her up in his Ferrari, yeah. and and says, "I'm going to take you out to the nicest restaurants in Manhattan, um, but you're going to have to let me fuck you up the ass." Yeah. And she's like, "Well, listen, you know, um, sure, I'll 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 take the money. Thanks very much." Um, that's basically that. My geopolitical analogies right. always come down to gangbangs and ass fucking. I, I don't know why. It's basically but, the same. Yeah, right. Thing. Yeah. 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 So basically, the Americans came along to the West Berliners and said, "Look, um, we'll fuck you up the ass later, but right now we're going to yeah. take you out to dinner at a nice restaurant." They were like, "Thanks very much. Okay. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, we'll, we'll take that." Yeah. So the the vast majority of the needs of the West Berliners were being taken care of, right, by the Soviets uh, directly. Wow. But it was still a major propaganda victory for the West. They oh, yeah. and 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 listen, I don't want to take away from the logistical achievements. Oh yeah, that the That's Americans incredible. and the British put together here. It is quite a stunning uh, uh, piece of work that they put together. An average of eight thousand tons of food and fuel were delivered each day. Yes. On the busiest day, which was April 16th, 1949, because this went on for nearly 11 months, 1,400 planes in a single day <laughs> brought in nearly 130,000 tons Ooh. of food. They had a plane touching down every 62 seconds in yes. a single day, 1,400 planes. It was a It was a huge achievement of logistics. Right. Yeah, and that is impressive, and you certainly don't want to take away. And there were 48 Allied or American pilots who died in plane crashes during this time, so there were lives lost. And again, that just adds to the the overall propaganda story that is going to be blown up on purpose and you know paraded around the world. And again, all this is in defense of Western Berliners against the evil Stalin. So the, the Allies came up with a system they called the ladder 
to bring these planes in. And and if you go online, you can see um, some good like animated and and two uh, D pictorial representations mm. of this. It's quite a, it's quite amazing. I mean, it's not dissimilar to how modern airports work. A really busy airport, I guess. Right. But um, you basically had planes approaching on a, a, a continuous cycle. Um, they keep a five hundred foot three minute separation. God. Eventually, with only two height bands. I think initially there was like five or six height bands. So planes flying at different heights right. coming in one after the other. Eventually, they just got it down to a system where there was only two height bands, a higher plane and a lower plane, three minutes and 500 feet between them. One plane had land, next plane had land, next one, next one, next one, boom, in. You know, all your ship, Jeez. the shit on your plane is uh, disembarked. Right. And you take off. Next one comes in. Boom, boom, <sighs> boom, boom. Yeah. Um, it was impressive. Stalin tried to combat the airlift by offering additional rations to any West Berliner who would register uh, with the communist authorities. Right. Only 20,000 took him up on it. Yeah. So they were like, fuck you. Yeah. Americans are supplying us with everything we need. Americans and the British, we don't need yeah. you. Um, now, at the meantime, while this is happening, Truman used both the coup in Czechoslovakia and the Berlin blockade, not only to push through the Marshall Plan, Mm -hmm. which had happened sort of a couple of months earlier, um, but also to increase the Pentagon's budget. He also assured James Forrestal, the Secretary of Defence, that if conditions warranted it, he would approve the use of atomic weapons. God. Dang. Now, uh-huh. after after they dropped the bombs on Japan, we talked about how Truman basically put a, 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 a ban on the use of atomic weapons. Mm-hmm. Not a ban, but he was like, that's it. We're not, stop. We're not dropping any more. Right. I'm, I'm horrified. Shocked. Shocked to my very core <laughs> over this. Yeah. Uh, we, need to, we need to think about this. Um, at this stage, a few years later, he's like, listen, if we need to drop bombs and nuclear weapons on the Russians, we will do it. I will approve it. Right. Um, and he authorised 60 atomic-capable B-29s to go to British and German bases. Yeah. So he's already surrounding the Soviet Union with nuclear weapons. Oh, Yeah. This is in 1948, end of 1948. Yeah. Uh, and in September, he wrote, we are very close to war. And he was getting ready to nuke Russia. Damn. Yeah. Yeah, I think this is this national security document number 30 in September of 1948, which is basically trying to answer the question, what happens next time? What's our response if Stalin pushes us, if he tries something? So, yeah, they have to have specific Boeing B-29 super fortresses to carry these atomic bombs. He has them built. He has them sent to Europe. So if Stalin does something like this in the future, the Americans have one more option besides just an airlift. So imagine you're Stalin and your country's being surrounded by american nuclear weapons right what do you what do you do um 
Well, first when, of all, you know, you've basically your house, yeah. your house is surrounded, and they're pointing guns at you. Yeah. Um, sorry, but first of all, what? Well, first of all, he looks around to all of his advisors, and he goes, "You know, I miss the day when all I had to worry about was Hitler and a bunch of Germans." <laughs> Now I got the fucking Americans, yeah. the British, the French, and to some degree the Japanese, because the Americans control the uh, the Japanese islands, and they've got us surrounded with atomic bombs. Because my spies tell me they have special fortress uh, bombers that can carry these things and drop them. So if we screw up and if we push them too far, or it depends on who's in the White House at the time, there could be just one retaliation, and it will be the last one. So what the fuck do we do now? But let's let's just do a quick recap of how we got to this point. Okay. So, the four powers agreed. The major powers agreed that um, they agreed during Yalta and Potsdam that at the end of mm-hmm. the World War Two, at the end of the the war against Germany, you know, the European War, right? They would have shared control of Germany, and mm. they would all have to have unanimous agreement on any decisions regarding the future of Germany. Yes, when they struggled to reach agreement. The British and Americans, and then eventually the French, said, well, fuck the agreement. We're just going to go ahead and do what we want anyway with our zones. Mm-hmm. The Soviets said, well, if if you're going to fuck the agreement, then fuck the agreement, and you, you can't get to Berlin anymore. We're going to block Berlin because it's in our zone, so right. fuck you. If you're... If you're if you're consolidating your zones, we'll consolidate our zone. You don't have access to it anymore. Fuck you. Yeah. This is our zone now. Yeah. Then then the Americans went. We're going to surround you with nuclear weapons. That was the Americans' response to that. Uh, well, you know the the, the 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 Russians didn't surround America with nuclear weapons, right? Because they didn't have any yet. The Americans immediately started surrounding. The Soviet Union with nuclear weapons, but George Kennan and whatever else Churchill, whatever else you want to call it, the Americans truly believed that if the Soviets continued to spread communism, because they were told this by Churchill and others, that world peace would come to an end, and we wouldn't have access to all the markets and. So we have to stop the Soviets from expanding. I think we read in one of these books that in Germany in the West, Turkey in the South, and Japan in the East, the Russians can no longer be allowed to expand anywhere because our very way of life, our economy, our freedoms that we hold so dear will one day cease. And so if it takes surrounding this empire, if you will, with atomic bombs, that's what we're willing to do. So I'm sure the Americans had no problem justifying it to themselves. I'm sure they had no problem feeling the fear or potential fear of a threat from Soviet Russia. But what you and I are saying is that that's not even the case because Russia, Stalin still got years ahead of him. And he knows he's got years ahead of him just to try to get his house back in order, much less taking some other country. He's just testing the Americans to see what he can get away with, which is a hell of a lot different than taking over the world. Okay, so let me let me um, test your uh, Americanisms. Oh, here we go. Um, it was around... It was at this time that in April of 1949, in the middle of uh, the blockade, right. that NATO, the North Atlantic Treaty Organization, was created. Mm-hmm. Um, 
what's what was the purpose of NATO, Ray? Um, was that to 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 be, have a forum so you could discuss things so things don't have to be settled by war? A forum? No, that was the United Nations. Oh, United. Oh, no, NATO. That was the United I'm sorry. Nations. Sorry, NATO. Um, what's the what was the, what's the purpose of NATO? I don't remember the purposes. Is it to have a mutual protection treaty against? Oh, I don't know anybody who wants to try to take over Europe or various other parts of the world that uh, basically protected from communism. Yeah. Look, I think um, if you if you ask most Americans, um, well, certainly I've heard this view expressed by mm-hmm. a number of my American friends, including Jay David. NATO was formed to prevent Soviet expansion, Sounds basically right. to protect the poor yeah. Europeans from the big bad Soviets uh, taking over their countries by force. Right. Now, in April of 1949, how many countries had the Soviets invaded? Um, zero? Zero. Okay. Uh, how many had they threatened to invade? How many had they tried to invade? Uh, well, they did. No, I'm just joking. No, the answer is zero. But zero. You could argue they did not because of NATO. If you were an American extremist, you would give yourself credit for that. <laughs> they would have done it, those sons of bitches, but we right. stopped them. Hell right. yeah. I'm just throwing yeah. that out. I'm just Yeah, yeah. You saw him, he had a gun. <laughs> uh, you also. Yeah. No, here's his. Why did you. Yeah. Why'd, yeah. Why did you shoot that civilian officer? <laughs> well, if I hadn't have, he would have probably. Shot me. Yeah. Was he pointing a gun at you? No, but uh, he, no. He, did he have one on him? Well, he could have went out and got one. No, but no. I didn't know that at yeah. the time. So he was him. black. I just assumed yeah. he would. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Look, that's my point. Yeah. NATO was created, and the Soviets were surrounded by nuclear weapons. Uh, well, okay, maybe surrounded is is too far. Close there was to it. Uh, what did we say before six. 60 yeah. atomic-capable B-29s right. uh, in British and German bases, American right. B-29s in right. British and German bases, ready, deliberately sent there by Truman to bomb the Soviet Union. Soviet Union's made, you know, no attempts to invade. Now, there was a, a coup in Czechoslovakia by the Czechoslovakian Communist Party, mm-hmm. supported morally, probably financially, by the Soviets, but mm-hmm. uh, no, no military invasion, no military involvement. It was a, it was a political scenario, a political uh, electoral yeah. win by the, by the Communist Party in Czechoslovakia. Oh, right. Um, they didn't. It, Russians hadn't invaded Czechoslovakia like uh, Hitler had, uh, however many years, pro, ten years earlier. Um, mm-hmm. So it, they're already being surrounded by the Westerners with nuclear weapons before they've done anything. Before they've had a chance to get out of the fucking blocks, they've been invaded. Uh, it's not invaded. Sorry, surrounded with nuclear right. weapons and threatened. Yeah, yeah. 
And because of Stalin's spies, you got to think it, it only, it's only going to take him a little while before Truman says something like, hey, I want 60 planes in Germany or in Europe before Stalin finds out about that. I mean, the guy's just got a great f- fucking spy network. So he's probably going to know at some point that, look, I, I, I can't go up against atomic bombs. At what point does he push a little button on his intercom and say, Mrs. Wiggins, I need you to get me some atomic bombs of my own. <laughs> So, Stalin lifted the blockade. Yes. Um, not long after the creation of NATO. Creation of NATO was in April 1949, May 1949. He lifts the blockade and tries to reopen negotiations with the Western powers about formalising the future status of Berlin. Right. The West had scored an obvious victory. I mean, he had basically tried to make them blink and they refused to blink. Right. Operation, as I said before, Operation Na 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 Na. Um, (laughs) They continued the airlift, though, until September 1949. Mm. So they continued it for another three or four months. Yeah. Just because they could. Um, I mean, partially... Officially, in case the blockade was re-implemented, and partially just to demonstrate that they could keep doing it forever if they chose to. Look at my dad. We have so much money. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we can just keep fucking you in the ass for the rest of our lives. Like, never. And not even One hand it. behind my back. Yeah, not even, look at me. Not even breaking a sweat. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Barry White playing. Just keep going. Um, now, I said before that um, during the course of the, the period of the blockade, the Soviets supplied East, uh, sorry, West Berlin with over half a million tonnes mm-hmm. of food and fuel and supplies. Right. The uh, British and Americans combined, uh, along with, by the way, the Royal Australian Air Force, the Royal New Zealand Air Force, the South African Air Force, who also nice. had crews who flew with the RAF. Good for them. Um, as well as some civilian operators. Uh, they supplied around 2.3 million tonnes of goods mm-hmm. to uh, West Berlin. Right. So um, it's a lot of, lot of supplies. Right. But, you know, in, in contrast to what the Soviets were already supplying, is about four times, four times as much stuff, four to five times as much stuff came in. Mm-hmm. Um, but as I said before, according to the stuff that I've read, none of this stuff was life or death. Right. It was just, you know, extras. Look, we can supply more than stuff you. than the Soviets right. can, was basically what the message was here. We, we can supply and we're willing to take risks to we, supply you. Exactly. Because yeah. we're badasses right. and we've got the bombs. Right. Lots and lots and lots of bombs. Don't you want to be on our be on our side? And of course, a lot of the Germans in West Germany yeah. are going to go. Yes, we do. Where do I sign? And that's exactly what the Americans want. Over the course of three hundred and twenty-two days, the Westerners flew two hundred and seventy-seven thousand flights 
that travelled a combined total of 175 million kilometres or 108 million miles, the equivalent of flying around the Earth 4,400 <laughs> times. Jesus. That's impressive. Now, here's the thing. Yeah. Who paid oh. for the, all of that? You can't see it, but my hand's up. My grandfather? Yes, the... The little boy in the back. Um, yes. Now, American, American and, and British taxpayers, and of course the British were fucked. They were on rations themselves yes. Yes, they were. at the time and would continue to be on rations for many years uh, later. Mm-hmm. The British going, well, fuck, we're starving yes. and you're sending shit to the Nazis? What, what the us. fuck is going yeah. on here? Yeah. Invade yeah. me. Occupy we me. defeated them. Shit. yeah. My father died to go and defeat the Germans, and now you're giving them food instead of me. What? Right. How does that fucking work? Yeah. Why? Well, for a propaganda victory. Exactly. That's what it was. I mean, the Americans could afford it at the time. Um, no doubt about that. America was super rich. People were doing okay. Um, unless you, you were one of the people who wasn't. But uh, <laughs> the white people, right. white middle-class people in America were doing great. It doing was good, good. times. Yes. Uh, the, the poor people, black people, uh, well, you know, Germans, are, white, white Germans are more, more important to yes. feed white Germans yes. than to feed black Americans, Ray, I think, or, or <laughs> yeah. Native Americans or Latino Americans, I think that's all understood. Right, it is. I don't don't think anyone in the era of Trump is going to disagree with that. White Germans, they don't like it. They take precedence. Go back to their over non-white Americans. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, A propaganda win. It was an investment. I guess you would look at it from an economic term. It was an investment in securing the American brand, not just in. West Berlin, not just in Western Germany, but in Europe. It was like, look at the size of my dick. <laughs> right. Uh, There's more where that came from. Stalin, Stalin whipped out his dick and flopped it on the table, <laughs> and Truman whipped out his dick and it went on the table, on, yeah. fell down onto the floor, out the door, yeah. around the block, came back in through the window... Two floors up, down the elevator shaft, came back out and stuck it in Stalin's mouth and said, how do you like them apples? Oh, the dreams I have after talking to you, the visuals. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) Now, the fact that the Russians... Made no attempt to prevent the airlift, serious attempt to prevent the airlift over that sort of 10 and a half, 11 months, which it could have done via a variety of means. Like they could have just jammed up the air. They didn't didn't need to resort to shooting them again. They could have just jammed up the air corridors with their own planes. Yeah. They could have jammed. All the runways, yes. They could have jammed Western air traffic control broadcasts. Mm -hmm. They could have floated barrage balloons in the airlines to prevent traffic from coming in. You know what a barrage balloon is? I had to look this up. Yeah. Well, explain to people what a barrage balloon is. I don't know, just a big, giant, ugly 
gray balloon that you can just it's on attached to rope so you can raise and lower it and have it have it hover any pretty much any height that you want that you can block whatever lanes and yeah you can just put that up and if a plane runs into it or runs into the cables that attach it it's going down and yeah they were used a lot in the war and they're, they're perfect um anti-aircraft uh tools to have i love it it's such a a low-tech solution yeah, yeah. we'll just fly float Cover the sky in balloons. Um, they were they were used in uh, the First World War by France, Germany, Italy, and the UK. Then in 1938, the British Balloon Command was established to protect British cities <laughs> right? from German attacks. I just, I just, I'd love uh, to have a business card that said, uh, "I'm a general." Yeah. Oh, really? You're a general? What are you general of? The British Balloon Command. The BBC, um, the uh, channel of the BBC. Oh my god! Oh, the British Broadcasting. No, not that. No, uh, no the, the other, other BBC. The oh, other. the Big Black Cock, Big Black Cock <laughs> no. Division. No, keep going. Uh, not keep not going. that BBC yeah. either. Uh, the, the British Bomber Command. Close, <laughs> close. Yeah, it's the. You're in the air. British balloon, balloon. They would have said it. They would have always coughed. The, the British balloon. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> you, you. So basically. Your job is to fly balloons. Yeah. Well, yes, but uh, like it's it's a lot more complicated than you make it sound. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> don't you just fill balloons up with gas and you gotta tie go them the to a rope? And you got to let go. Yeah. The yeah. Look, look. Like, yeah. From an outsider's perspective, I'm sure, <laughs> sure that's what it looks bank. like. But. Uh, but, yeah. uh, you know, you ever tried to make a balloon, yeah. big gotta, balloon? Oh, gotta, like it's... You got to sew. Got to get lots of rubber. So <laughs> <laughs> try to make it look sexy as possible. <laughs> I fly balloons up in the air. Yeah. Um, so the fact that Stalin didn't do any of those things was an indicator to the West at this stage that he really wasn't prepared for a war, a which gesture. made them... Made them ballsier. Oh, okay. Well, we can take advantage of the fact that we know, despite his overwhelming superiority in terms of land forces in Europe, we can do whatever the fuck we want because Stalin's not going to start a war with us right now. Um, On November 24th, 1948, George Kennan submitted a paper to the Secretary of State where he wrote, a military danger arising from possible incidents or from the prestige engagement of the Russians and the Western powers in the Berlin situation does exist Mm. and is probably increasing rather than otherwise. But basic Russian intent still runs to the conquest of Western Europe by political means. In this program, military force plays a major role only as a means of intimidation. The danger of political conquest is still greater than the military danger. If a war comes in the foreseeable future, it will probably be one which Moscow did not desire but did not know how to avoid. The political war, on the other hand, is now in progress. And if there should not be a shooting war, it is this political which will be decisive. Mm. Now... I want everyone to stop and think about that for a moment. George Kennan, the architect of the American response to 
the Soviets and the Cold War. Right. At the, at the height of major tension in the Berlin blockade is writing that the Soviet plans for the conquest of Europe will be through political means. Ah. Now, hardly the view of the Soviet Union during the Cold War that I grew up with. Right. Is there anything wrong with trying to build up allies across Europe through political means, Ray? Um, in the abstract, no. But if it's a communist doing it and communists are evil and dangerous and they don't believe in God or the American way, if they're the ones who are going up to various countries and go, please, sir, I would like you to consider our form of government, then yes, it is bad, dangerous, and wrong. That's the American answer. The, the Soviets are trying to take over the world. How are they going to do it? By, with, by invading? No, by... <laughs> You know, the propagation of socio-economic and political uh, ideologies than encouraging people to vote. You bastards. Well, shit. Can't (laughs) Can't have that. (laughs) Can't let them do that. (laughs) You got to consider the source. Now, okay. Yeah. He's also suggesting uh, a little bit of gumbo diplomacy there, that they their military right. is acting as a means of intimidation, but that's no different than every major power was doing before, during, and years. after this yeah, period. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, yeah sure. Uh, I'm sure the, the Japanese after World War II were more than happy to have an American capitalist democracy. The fact that America kept 50,000 troops stationed in Japan uh, wasn't a means of military intimidation. No. No, we're here to protect, protect your freedoms. Yes. Is why we have guns pointed at your head. (laughs) If anyone tries to come and take your freedoms. Oh, Oh, we're there. We're we're ready. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. We're ready. (laughs) Jesus. Now, that's hardly... Uh, hardly the view of the Soviet Union that I grew up with in the Cold War. Uh, here's a quote from Vladislav Zbok in his book, A Failed Empire. In fact, when the Italian Communist Party leader Togliatti suggested to Stalin early in 1948 that he could take power by force, Stalin replied not to use armed insurrection for any reasons Ooh. to seize power in Italy. Right. Damn. Yeah. He's not Stalin's like, "No, no, no, yeah. no, no. You got to do it peacefully. We don't want a war. No, no no armed insurrection." Yeah. Um but still the US portrayed the Soviet Union as a military threat. Yeah. Publicly, though, the Soviet Union during the Berlin blockade denied there even was a blockade. Uh. In a speech to the UN Security Council in October of 1948, the Deputy Foreign Minister Vyshinsky claimed it was all US propaganda. He said, there is no Soviet-imposed blockade of Berlin. There is nothing but a false propaganda maneuver for purposes which have nothing in common with a desire to reach a settlement. So I'm not trying to make the suggestion that the Soviets were the good guys and the lies were all coming from the Americans. There were lies and propaganda going both directions, as right. there always is. Always. Both, all countries 
All leaders of all countries are always lying to you at some point about something. <laughs> Only their uh, lips that's are just the way power works. Right. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And they're awake. Yeah. yeah. Um, and not moving on your cock. But even then, they're probably lying about it. This isn't gay. Just no. because I'm blowing you, no. it's not gay. No. <laughs> it's politics. So just keep that in mind. Yeah. So I'm not suggesting – so, again, I'm not suggesting the Americans are the bad guys, just that the Americans played a large role, and the British, played a large role in creating the conditions yeah. of the blockade and that the airlift was a propaganda manoeuvre, not a, a brilliant uh, rescue operation right. as, it's, as it's portrayed. Absolutely. So in May 1949, after the blockade was finished, the United States agreed – to talks over the future of the Germany, uh, of the Germany, of Germany. It was only um, after the Soviet Union lifted the blockade that they agreed to do that. Um, Of course, nothing much came of it, but at least they did come back to the negotiating table, which was Stalin's objective all along. Yes. We think, probably, to get them back to the table. Didn't really help much, but, you know, the question is, did it... Did the blockade help Stalin or uh, 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 what's the opposite of help? Hurt. Um, f- hurt. Hurt, yes. And I think it's pretty obvious that it backfired. It yes. did not. Yeah. Even though it got the Americans back to the table, the negotiating table, it uh, yeah. wasn't successful. Done. Yeah, damage is done. Uh, uh, yeah. Yeah. But. You know, uh, but the point I also want to make is he didn't what, – what, what was his other option? I mean, uh, do nothing. His options at the time, you know, pre-blockade were, well, the, the, the other major powers are acting against the Soviets by combining their regions mm. and they're obviously going to – they're introducing a currency. They're going to build it up economically. They're going to build our greatest enemy, yes. Germany, up again economically and militarily. What do we do? Nothing? Yeah. Do we just sit here holding my dick and <laughs> going, well, Try that. I'm going to look like a weak pussy. Right. I'm going to look like a weak pussy. I'm the brutal dictator tyrant Stalin, man of steel. Uh, I've got to do something. Yeah. What do I do? So he did the only thing he could do uh, uh, outside of start a war. Right. Um, but it, it not only didn't accomplish his objective, it probably backfired uh, and made his allies stronger than they were before he started it. And, and and because of something like this, because of what the Americans and the British done, because of the Marshall Plan, because of the blockade that failed, Germany is now divided. I mean, there's no going back. Yeah, they did go back to the table and talk, but it's not going to work anymore. So, and you might have alluded to this earlier, but in the fall of 1949, the East, if you want to call it German Democratic Republic, and the Federal Republic of West Germany are established. So for all of that, Although we've talked about the last two hours, nothing changes. The line stays the same where it's at, except for now it's it's firmed up. It's official. There's two new German governments. They each have their own sponsor. And so the Cold War will go on. There will be a lot of tension around this border that will affect world history for this for several decades to come. And it was a giant bluff 
on, yeah. I guess, on behalf of Stalin and also on the Allies. Mm-hmm. It was a huge bluff. The bluff was neither side would be willing to start a war over former Nazis. Right. And uh, they weren't. They weren't. Yeah. Um, in the end, Stalin had to let the Allies have a win. Yeah. But 39 British and 31 Americans were killed. 15 German civilians were killed, mostly mm. through aviation accidents. Right. <clears throat> American taxpayers spent $150 million. Jesus. And this is 1948, where yeah. $150 million was a lot of money. Right. Um, British also spent millions, but it was an investment in... You know, who was going to end up with economic control of Europe, I guess, probably was paid back to the Americans many times yes, over absolutely. over the course of the next 70 years. Yeah. But it could have gone differently. What if a maverick Soviet colonel or somebody had shot down an American plane? Yeah. What if Stalin had refused to lower the blockade uh, when he did? As you said um, earlier, the U.S.'s official response to all of this came in the form of National Security Council document number 30, NSC 30, completed in September 1948 during the middle of the Berlin showdown, officially known as the United States Policy on Atomic Warfare. Mm. By the way, uh, I went to try and find the, the text of this when right. I was doing my research last week. I Googled it for half an hour. Wow. NSC 30 could not find the full text of it. Right. Found articles that mentioned it and gave sort of a summary of what it was about, mm-hmm. but could not find the full text of it in Google. And I spent a good half an hour going deep, you know, 10 yeah. pages into Google could not find it. Jumped over to DuckDuckGo, found it immediately, the full text of it. I like that name. Now, uh-huh. I don't know if Google is hiding it from just me because <laughs> right. they're like, the last thing Riley needs to see is the text of this document. Fuck him. Or if Google are just hiding it from everybody. Yeah. But, uh, or if it's just an accident of Google. But, you know, I think a good search algorithm would mm. say to itself if somebody's searching for NSC 30, they probably want to know what it was and yeah. they probably want to read the text of it. Um, no such luck in Google. Had to go to DuckDuckGo. Wow. There you go. Wow. Uh, anyway, it was the official position, as you said earlier, from the US on whether or not they would use nuclear weapons again. Now, uh, they still had a monopoly on atomic weapons at the time, Mm -hmm. and what they decided was, because it had been up in the air uh, since Hiroshima and Nagasaki, what are we going to do in a a future conflict? Are we going to use these big boys or not? And they decided, yes, we would. If we get into a war with the Soviet Union, we will use nuclear weapons. Officially... It's, in, it's on paper, right. documented. That's our decision. Here's a couple of quotes from the text. If Western Europe is to enjoy any feeling of security at the present time, without which there can be no European economic recovery, 
and little hope for a future peaceful and stable world, it is in large degree because of the atomic bomb under American trusteeship offers the present major counterbalance to the ever-present threat of the Soviet military power. It is recognised that, in the event of hostilities, the national military establishment must be ready to utilise promptly and effectively all appropriate means available, including atomic weapons, in the interest of national security and must therefore plan accordingly. So rather than raise a big land army, we'll just drop nuclear bombs on Soviet political and military targets with the aim of forcing a Soviet surrender rather than having to defeat the Red Army on the field of battle. Now, Stalin, of course, knew this. That was the point, as I said back in our Hiroshima and Nagasaki episodes, the whole point of dropping the bombs on the Japanese from the American perspective, was to show the Soviets what the bombs could do. Right. And were willing to use it. And they were crazy enough to use it. And so Stalin let them win the blockade while he built his own bomb. (laughs) Right. Now, um, he expressed... Yeah, sorry. I'm sorry, just, just one of the, I know we're getting near the end, but just one of the last things I wanted to say was that, and I think we said this like 50 episodes ago, but one of the great ironies of the Cold War is that both sides saw themselves as defensive heroes trying to check the aggressions of the other side. Yeah, but there had been no aggressions from the Soviets at this point. Mm. That's, that's, that's my point. There was no there was no military aggression from the Soviets as of 19, the end of nineteen forty eight. Facts doesn't matter. You're using facts. The Churchill speech, the George Kennan. No, these people are evil and they have to be stopped. Even though they haven't tried yet, because they've been labeled evil and that if they do spread, world peace ends. They have to be stopped. So it doesn't matter that they haven't tried anything yet. It's irrelevant. Yeah. No, well, look, and, and I grant you that Kennan is probably right when he said that the communist ideology was to spread communism around the world. Mm-hmm. Because, again, spreading communism means, you know, uh, in theory anyway, liberating the working classes from the oppression of the capitalist class. Right. Uh, uh, so they did want to spread uh, liberation around the world. That was their plan, the liberation of the working class of the world. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yes, but by political means, as yeah. Kennan himself said. Yeah. Um, supporting communist, revo- communist revolutions in countries to overthrow the capitalist class. Absolutely. Um, but the question is, well, what's wrong with that? Supporting political, uh, you know, revolutions um, by the working classes. We answered that with the shows we did on uh, Fifield and those others because they've all wrapped up communism and uh, not believing in God and un-American ways. They've wrapped it up all together. So it 
it that's it's it's a done deal. It's already been packaged and set up. It's evil. It's got to be stopped. They're going to try and hurt us, even if they're not trying to hurt us. We already believe they're going they're going to try and hurt us. So it's already been done. Um, Stalin, uh, in his uh, handwritten remarks on documents during this period, uh, I quoted one of them earlier, sort of indicates his anger and frustration over the defiance of the Allies. Mm-hmm. Uh, he writes, he calls them scoundrels. It's not a blockade, but a defensive measure. At one point he wrote, ha-ha, on a document. <laughs> at uh, uh, A passage, uh, a note from uh, Bedell Smith, the ambassador, um, talking about them using the airlift as propaganda. He's mm. like, see, it's propaganda. They know it's propaganda. <laughs> They're doing it just to try and make us look bad. And it worked. Um, yeah. Now, as I said before, his tactics, though, ended up being counterproductive. It didn't block the implementation of the Allies' plans for Western Germany. It, in fact, accelerated it. Right. And then we ended up with, uh, you know, officially Eastern and Western Germany. He ended up with NATO. His worst fear, a US-led Western bloc united against the Soviet Union, came into being in large part because of his Berlin blockade. Oh. Russian historians Vladislav Zubok and Konstantin Pleshakov mm-hmm. wrote in one of their books, Stalin did not want the Cold War, but he did not know how to avoid it. Um, in May of 1948, the US State Department, who were concerned that Stalin might misread the American intentions uh, in terms of the airlift and overreact sent the Kremlin a confidential message through the Ambassador Smith that contained two basic points. The Number one, the United States would not accept any new Soviet encroachment beyond the present limits of communist power, but it had no plans for a military attack against the USSR. And two, the current US policy was not subject to change because of presidential elections or economic downturn, mm. but the door is always open for full discussion and the composing of our differences. Mm. Now, um, this is something I hinted at in the last episode. So there was a presidential election uh, coming up in the United States. Right. And... Stalin was trying to influence it. <gasps> Shock, horror, Gosh. Russians trying to influence an American presidential election. Who would have heard of such a thing? Um, and <laughs> these days, people are aghast. Aghast. I am shocked, shocked, I tell you, to discover the, American, the Russians are trying to influence. Back then... Uh, the New York Times published open letters from Stalin uh, wow. trying to <laughs> influence wow. the election. They're like, sure, uh, freedom yeah. of speech, bitches. Yeah. He gets to say what he wants to say. Now we're all like, oh, my God, the <laughs> Russians are trying to influence people. Back no. then they were like, we'll just fucking publish it. Like, yeah. who gives a shit? Um, by the way, you know, the, the New York Times also published an open letter from Putin Back in Obama's day, too, no one no one was upset about him trying to influence the election then wow. because the Democrats were in power and everyone was like, ah, yeah, it's all good. It's all good. Anywho, the, um, the, the uh, correspondence between Ambassador Smith and Molotov was published in the Soviet press Ooh. to try and embarrass the Americans at the time. Um, and, you know, basically providing it as an example of U.S., 
hypocrisy. Right. Uh, not coming up with any constructive ideas for improving the relationship between the Soviets and the Americans. Just basically saying, you know, we're not, we, we don't, we have no plans to attack you, but we're not going to change our mind on our policy. Our policy set in stone. Right. Fuck you. Um, regardless of what happens in the future, fuck you. Yeah. Publicly, they weren't acknowledging that. Privately, they were basically laying down the law to the Soviets. So he decided to publish that. Ooh. Um, now. This was only part of a propaganda campaign he was running to try and discredit Truman and the Democrats in the upcoming U.S. presidential elections. Now, Henry Wallace, the man who should have been president, right. uh, FDR's former vice president, who right. was replaced because he was considered to be a bit of a burden and a little bit Soviet friendly. He was running as the candidate for the Progressive Party Ooh. in the upcoming U.S. elections, right. and he was obviously much more in the Roosevelt line of things. Um, he wanted to find the the way forwards to have peace with the Soviet Union. Mm-hmm. So the Soviets, Stalin was was doing whatever they could to stress to the Americans that Wallace was a good choice. Wallace even offered to visit Moscow to have talks with Stalin uh, during the campaign. Mm. Uh, Stalin said, no, listen, that's 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 probably not a good idea. That's yeah. not going to go down well. Yeah, but um, let's, let's have an exchange of letters that can be published to express to people how friendly this could possibly be. Gotcha. So Wallace wrote an open letter, which was published in the New York Times on May 12, 1948, less than a week after the publication of the Smith-Molotov documents. Stalin then wrote his own open letter, which was also published by the New York Times, mm-hmm. uh, called Wallace's letter a very important document that could provide a fruitful basis for coexistence wow. and for the peaceful resolution of differences between the USSR and the USSR and the sorry the USA. Um, the the open letters made a big splash around the world, but it made it easier for Truman and the American Hawks to tag Wallace as a communist sympathizer. Yeah, backfired. And it majorly backfired. Wallace lost the election and uh, Truman, surprisingly to everyone, Truman won. Uh, the, everyone thought he was going to fail. He, But, again, the blockade and the airlift yeah. uh, probably coup. played into Truman's favour. Right. Yeah, he looked, like, he looked like a badass motherfucker right. who uh, stared down Stalin Arr. and won. Yes, even though it was creating Trizonia and the new currency uh, and, and basically taking a dump all over the Allied Control Commission agreement that started this whole thing, Details. Truman managed to spin it that he came out looking like the good guy, exactly. saviour of West Berlin, not the guy that, you know, basically shit on. And You know, Trump gets a lot of... Uh, 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 grief these days for shitting on the Iran nuclear agreement. Right. Um, Truman did pretty much exactly the same thing <laughs> with the uh, Germany agreement, um, but, you know, came out smelling of roses yeah. as a result. 
Now, the other, the other thing that Stalin got wrong in this period, just to wrap up, is, as we've mentioned earlier in the series, Soviet ideology, Leninist ideology, uh, had predicted that after World War II, the capitalist countries would turn on each other mm. and there would be a crisis in world capitalism. Right. And that this would be a boon for the communists to gather support in capitalist countries. Well, they were right in some ways. There was a post-war economic recession in 1948. Mm-hmm. But and there were there were intense rivalries between the United States and, and the UK. But it wasn't as serious as Lenin or Stalin thought it was going to be. I mean, Lenin had died, obviously, right. decades or a decade and a half before World War II. But still, um, you know, they predicted that this would happen. But the reason it didn't happen is because the other capitalist countries were so fucked after World War II. No, yeah. <laughs> Lenin and Stalin's uh, theories hadn't predicated the fact that there would be no capitalist competition right. for decades after out. World War yeah. II. The US would have such complete control of the cap- global capitalist economic bloc mm-hmm. that there would be no opposition to them. So they fucked that up as well. <laughs> also, the other thing they hadn't predicted is that the US would have the bomb. Yes. Who could see that? Coming? So uh, all of these theories about, you know, the, the political rise of communism after World War II floundered because of American hegemony yep. uh, and Technology. the American bomb. Economic hegemony and the bomb. Right. Yeah. Britain Britain and France weren't in a position to fight the Americans for control over the capitalist bloc because they hadn't had nothing. They had nothing. Yeah. They were relying on the Americans. Yes. Uh, American economic support. Yes. Uh, so there you go. Now, as a, the other result of the failure of the Berlin blockade was that Molotov nearly lost his life. Oh, God. <laughs> he... He was basically blamed as foreign minister. He was blamed for the failure of the Allied Control Commission collapse and the right. uh, failure of the, the, the blockade. His wife was arrested. Um, he wasn't mm. arrested. He was demoted. He wasn't right. foreign minister anymore. Um, uh, you know, he survived, barely. Um, but if you've seen the death of Stalin, it tells some of that story. Mm -hmm. Um, A year later, uh, Stalin was still fuming about the dishonest, perfidious and arrogant behaviour of the United States and Europe, the Balkans, the Middle East, and especially its decision to form NATO and his way of retaliating against what the United States did in Germany and with NATO mm-hmm. was to support Kim Il-sung's plan to annex South Korea. Ooh. And on August 29th, 1949, a few months after the lift of the blockade, Stalin got his own bomb. But those are stories for future episodes mm. Good stuff. That is the Berlin blockade and airlift. Cam and Ray style. (laughs) 
curtain has descended across the continent.